Welcome back to 1330 WRAM and FM 94.1. Joining us in the studio this hour is Sherry Bustos, our United States uh, Congresswoman, 17th Congressional District, as a matter of fact. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Vanessa. Thanks for thinking of us here at the radio station to let our audience know about things going on in Washington, D.C. Of course. It's great. It's always great to be with you. You're always well prepared and ask great <laughs> questions, so my hat's off to you. And coming up this evening, you have a big lecture, an annual lecture. Uh, we had to skip it last year due to COVID, but do want to give big thanks to Jean Robeson uh, from the Wiswell Robeson Lecture. Uh, she's one of the ones who makes this gift possible, and you are the speaker this evening. I am. So we are talking, basically our, our title is something along the lines of the future of rural America with a, with a focus on agriculture, but even beyond that. And I, I won't give away too much of, of what I'm going to be talking about tonight, but the moral of the story is we've got challenges. Um, our family farmers have challenges. We've got, you know, unusual weather patterns that we've been dealing with, the floods, the droughts, the derechos. Um, we've got uh, you know, the markets, uh, trade. We, we now, have, now have some issues with USMCA and uh, the United States-Mexico uh, uh, trade agreement. Um, but... But the moral of the story is that we've got so many possibilities. I just left the Farm Progress show last week and walked away thinking, wow, there is so much we can do in agriculture. There's so much potential, so many possibilities. And I will end my speech saying, you know, while we've had challenges, we've got great opportunities for for agriculture and for rural America. Okay, that is tonight at 7 p.m. at the Dahl Chapel and Auditorium on the campus of Monmouth College. It is free and open to the public. So good luck tonight. Have a good time. Thank you. Okay, uh, before we get to some of the other things in Washington, want to talk about something positive uh, that happened to you and may potentially be very good uh, for agri- uh, agriculture, at least as far as our liquid fuels go as well. And that's your Next Generation Fuels Act of 2021. And it, uh, it was launched. Tell us how it went. Well, we have introduced this. It was bipartisan on day one, which always makes me excited. You, you can't be successful in Washington if you can't get support from across the aisle. So it was bipartisan on day one. We are getting some great support from the Farm Bureau, from the corn growers, uh, from now the United Auto Workers, because uh, this will involve how cars are manufactured. Of the, you know, the so-called big three uh, automobile manufacturers, we've got one that is very supportive. They're a little bit supportive behind the scenes. We're working on getting the others to be supportive as well. But um, I would say the, the long and short of it is this. This bill calls for uh, looking at how we manufacture automobiles. Um, making sure that they can burn higher levels of ethanol. So in the first five years a- after this passes, we would uh, we would be able to burn E20, and then the five years after that go all the way up to E30. And, uh, and Vanessa, I have to say, you and I were talking uh, before we started recording this, that when I was on your, um, your roundtable, your ag roundtable, the idea came up that, hey, we need to be making sure that we're manufacturing the vehicle so they can burn ethanol, higher level of octane, and, and reduce the, the carbon that's emitted. Well, th- that's why we wanted to work with the automobile manufacturers to make sure they're on board. So this bill requires them to uh, manufacture cars. Uh, to burn E20 and then E30, and also requires the filling stations to be able to dispense E20, E25, E30 over the years. Um, so, th- you know, this is this is something that's a win for our, our corn growers. 
It's a win for our environment because ethanol burns about 40% cleaner than, than straight on gasoline. And, um, and it gives us a new market. So we, we think that this is something that is very, very positive for our part of the country and very, very positive for the environment as well. Okay. And when you hear from, uh, from people, you hear that there's a need for maybe electric in a large metropolitan area where there's a lot of idling of a vehicle in traffic. But in our rural areas, you know, corn demand, we're able to grow this corn and soybeans. And having a new market or an emerging market with an ex- existing product uh, is going to be very key and vital. It's going to be a lot easier to have E20 than make put in new charging stations all across the, the United States. Oh, ab- absolutely. And and the, the other thing is when you look at, for instance, General Motors that is looking for an all-electric fleet by the, the, the into the 2030s. Um, we've got decades to go where we're going to be burning liquid fuel. This is an interim strategy. I mean, if it, at, at worst, it's an interim strategy. Then you look at the fact that we have close to 300 million cars on American roads. And so even after we go to this all-electric fleet uh, decades down mm-hmm. the line, we're still going to have many vehicles that will be able to burn liquid fuel. So we think this is an answer for decades to come and something that can be, again, very positive with the new market for our family farmers. Well, and a lot of Americans want options because what if an option no longer exists? For instance, what if we have all-electric but no access to any other form of uh, fuel and our grid goes down, whether it's from climate uh, you know, some sort of a terrible storm like we saw in Texas, uh, you know, earlier in the winter or from a Hurricane Ida. We'd have, we don't know what the future holds. So being dependent on one could set us up for failure down the road from a catastrophic, you know, type of, of weather event. Yeah, and, and we're living through that right now. You just mentioned Ida. The power is still out in much of New Orleans. And uh, yes, yeah, so this is real. This is real. And uh, we also don't have the answers to what are we doing with the batteries, on these electric vehicles, how what's that disposal look like? How does it? How do we reuse those when they get old? I just think there are so many answers. I, I'm, I, this is not an anti-electric vehicle statement that I'm making, but it's a pro-farmer statement that I'm making, and we want to make sure that we grow our markets. I mean, everything is about growing our markets, and this is a way that we can have homegrown fuel that burns 40% cleaner and helps our part of the country. Okay. We're talking with Sherry Bustos, our United States Representative for the 17th Congressional District for the next 16 months. So this is sort of the one you want to go out on uh, in a way. And I don't mean that with any disrespect, but you've been wanting to help agriculture for a long time, or at least that is certainly how you have have portrayed uh, in in many of our interviews. So this is the one you're focusing on. Well, this is uh, this just has the potential to to make a huge difference uh, again in our environment for our family farmers in our part of the country. And uh, so we're, we're all in on this. And so the next steps on this, I've, uh, I've introduced it. It will be assigned to the Energy and Commerce Committee. So it's got to get out of committee. Um, we are making phone calls to members who serve on that committee and uh, make sure that we can, we can pass it out of committee, get it to the full House floor. You, you know, sometimes we call uh, bigger pieces of legislation vehicle bills. Okay. So, so uh, perhaps can we attach this to something else that has a high likelihood of getting through? Um, we're looking at all of these strategies to, to do what we can to make progress on this. You know, look, I, I'm passing a piece of major legislation is very difficult, uh, but, but we're going to, we'll spend our political capital to get support on this. 
Okay. How does this particular legislation uh, match up to any other legislation regarding uh, climate change or electric vehicles uh, or, uh, you know, low uh, carbon, high octane? Would we have any other legislation that say this could be competing with? Well, I wouldn't say that it's competing with others. I, I think part of it is going to be a matter of educating lawmakers, because if, if you look at uh, Democrats, uh, the, the climate crisis is a, is a major, major issue. And uh, many Democrats think that electric vehicles are a big part of the answer because we've got so many, uh, you know, gas uh, vehicles on the road that use gas and that are high carbon emitters. Um, so part of it is educating lawmakers, those who are all gung-ho about electric vehicles and saying, look, that is decades off. We have something at our disposal right now, and it's called ethanol, that burns 40% cleaner and uh, so can help our environment. And we are going to be using liquid fuels for decades to come. So let's look at this at least, again, at minimum, as an interim strategy. So I think part of it is when you've got lawmakers who are, say, from a, a very urban area who have never driven by a, a cornfield in their lives, uh, to be able to educate them on this. And that's part of what I'm doing. It's part of what we are asking our friends from the Farm Bureau, from the corn growers, uh, to help us with as well. You know, you got to look at it from, from the perspective, we've got Farm Bureaus all over the, the country, and they have members all over the country. And we need that grassroots support to, uh, for folks to call their lawmakers and say, hey, I want you to sign on to the Next Generation Fuels Act. And if you're on the Energy and Co Commerce Committee, hey, we want you to vote for this to get this out of committee so it can go to the full House floor, that type of thing. So we're going to need help, really kind of grassroots support to help move this along. How does your colleague uh, feel about it in the Senate? Are we? Uh, do you guys get a chance to talk about legislation before, you know, it, it becomes something to vote on? I mean, have you had a chance to, to say, hey, Senator Durbin, I'll, I'll show you around Big River uh, Resource? Yeah, well, uh, Senator Durbin is, uh, you know, I don't have to do a whole lot of lobbying with him. Um, right now, we just have this on the House side, so right. uh, that can be down the line. And um, uh, you, you, if you look at the senators who come from corn country, so you've got uh, Chuck Grassley mm -hmm. and Joni Ernst over in um, Iowa. They're from corn country. We've got uh, S Senator Duckworth and Durbin here. Um, we, we've got, I guess, 29 states in America that grow corn. So uh, th those are some of the starting points as well. But um, So that's you know, good news you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I think so. We um, have 29 state senators who who know about corn being grown in their, yeah, their yeah. state, that's a positive. Yeah. I mean, what what are we, I think we're number two in America for corn growers and uh, Iowa's number one. And then that reverses on, on um, soybeans. So, mm -hmm. you know, hey, I mean, it's perfect for our part of the country. Right. Also, uh, while we have you here, Congresswoman Bustos, uh, good luck with this uh, this bill. We discussed a lot of this material that's in your documentation and what you presented at our last Ag Roundtable. I thought it was helpful that, that you were able to hear directly from those farmers right here in the local area. Oh, my gosh. I, I literally walked away from that with legislative ideas that we incorporated into the Next Generation Fuels Act. So, hey, folks in Warren County, uh, you are really part of being the author of this bill because it was at your roundtable, Vanessa, that you hosted that they that we start we talked if you if you go back to your tape on that that we talked about having manufacturers um, make sure that they can build uh, a vehicle that can burn higher uh, octane fuel and that is what we've written into this bill and that literally came right down the road here at uh, at your ag roundtable here in Monmouth. 
And also, while we have you here, another question I've been getting asked and was asked to please consider during the next roundtable is uh, the the class of tax taxes on farmers who have third, fourth, fifth generation farms, and they're very nervous uh, or looking to uh, the the legislature for answers. What do you think? The future holds on taxes. So if there is a farm that's going to pass to the next family, will the tax outweigh the ability to continue as a next generation farmer? Yeah, not to get overly complicated on it, but it's called stepped up basis. I know I know you know that and probably many of your listeners know that if, if they're on a family farm. And here's what I think will happen. I believe that our family farmers will be exempt from, from that. Um, I have written a letter along with 11 of my colleagues to uh, the the Biden administration, to the White House, saying we want to make sure that our family farmers are exempt from um, from being removed from the stepped up basis. Same thing with our small business owners. Um, and I know it, the devil's in the details as far as how do you define small business owners. But you know, I mean, we, when when you're a family owned business. Um, we don't want you to have to close down your business because you have to pay these estate taxes and cannot pass along your business. It's the same thing with mm-hmm. our family farmers. If anything, we need to do everything we can to make sure a family farm can stay within that family. Okay. And, uh, you know, you, you go around the, the, the various counties in our congressional district, and it's not uncommon to find fourth and fifth generation farm mm-hmm. families out there. And we want to make sure that the family, after their their elder passes away, if you've got to go back five generations to see what they paid for farmland, and then you look at how much more that farmland is worth now and have to pay for that in taxes, it's not sustainable. They're going to have to sell off land. Um, there, there might be a not, uh, that uh, there might be a chance that they wouldn't be able to pass it down to the next generation. So we don't want that to happen. There was language that came out of the Senate and it passed 99 to zero. So Democrats and Republicans uh, supported exempting our family farmers from that. Okay, good to know. So a lot of our farmers hearing that, hoping that that's the case, can breathe a sigh of relief because having to go to the bank and borrow money to pay taxes doesn't make much sense. No, no. And, and I can tell you this, if, if it starts getting any uh, room for movement in the wrong direction, I will be fighting that tooth and nail. Um, and I've got enough of my colleagues who will be fighting that as well. Keep in mind, there there is such a slim majority for Democrats in the House. We're, there's only a three-vote majority. And I can tell you there's a heck of a lot more than three House Democrats who will oppose doing anything to our family farmers that would hurt them along these lines. So um, we're, we will fight this tooth and nail. Okay. Appreciate you answering that because uh, certainly I don't want our farmers to lose sleep. And there's something so American about the family farm. Totally. I mean, it's just, it just, that, (laughs) everything about the expansion of the the U.S., you think of of family farmers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we want to Especially in our part of the country, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And finally, uh, anything else? I know you have to leave. Uh, It's, uh, we've got about one minute left. Any summary that you'd like to provide our audience today? Well, I will be heading back out to Washington uh, on the 20th of September. A week after that, we'll be voting on this um, infrastructure bill. This is the bipartisan bill that came out of the Senate. Uh, This will create 2 million jobs a year for the next 10 years. You are going to start seeing roads and bridges that will be upgraded. We were able to get some funding for our locks and dams. Um, This is major. It also includes uh, rural broadband. Uh, to make sure that we are addressing folks who have these huge gaps in their service or or really cannot even access high-speed internet. 
And so um, really a massive game changer. I'm confident that it will pass. And um, we'll start seeing work getting done on our roads and bridges and our, our critical infrastructure that helps not just our family farmers, but it helps us get our kids to schools and helps us navigate our interstate highway system that, that came in in the uh, Eisenhower administration. So this is major. It would be the biggest investment in our infrastructure since post-World War II. Okay. Have a great lecture this evening. Thanks for thinking of us and stopping by. Thank you, Vanessa. Sherry Bustos with us, our Congresswoman, 17th Congressional District, of course, right here in Illinois. We'll be back with more. It is WRAM.